Welcome to season four of the Action Research Podcast. In this launch episode for season four, we find out what the team has been up to during their fall pause. Hint, it was some time to consider new goals and orientations for our podcast and bring in more voices. Join Joe and Adam, who welcome Shika and Corey to the table as new co-hosts alongside their roles as producers. Now that Adam is exploring life after completing a PhD, Shika and Corey take on the role of grad students helping ask the questions. In this episode, we get to know a little bit more about them, and then they turn the tables on Joe and Adam by putting them in the hot seat with questions. Thanks for tuning in. Now, on to your hosts. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Action Research Podcast, Season 4. Can't believe it. We're still here. I'm Adam Stieglitz, and I'm here with my co-host, Joe Levitan. What's going on, Joe? Hey, Adam. How are you doing? Uh, it's not great to be back here in Season 4. We're super excited to introduce our new co-hosts, Shika DeWalker and Corey Legasic. Season four is going to be a little bit different than our first three seasons. So we're really excited about this and, and thinking about how we can expand the voices who are contributing to action research and action research methodology and the action research podcast. So we're looking at a new format this year, looking at how emerging researchers can expand the field and, and how we can think about action research from different ways from the next generation of researchers. That's right. So, um, Shika and Corey, it's so great to have you guys on. We've been spending a lot of time like off air, like coordinating the podcast and you guys are staying pretty busy behind the scenes. So it's really cool. You're going to be a little bit more present with our audience now. Perhaps you, you guys don't mind introducing yourselves to the audience saying who you are, like how you've been involved with the podcast and maybe, you know, what you're excited about for this season. Shika, do you mind starting us off? Sure. Thank you, Adam. It's really nice to switch gears and um, change some, you know, role positioning. Coming to the podcast as a co-host, earlier I was a co-production manager and it was really amazing to uh, listen to those dialogues. Part of the reason for us being co-host is now that Adam is graduated, we are taking that graduate spot. So I'm going to co-host with Corey in a couple of podcasts and here we go. Hi, Corey. Hey, everyone. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to think that, you know, a year ago, I was just asking if I could sit in on meetings and learn about podcasting, you know, a chance to sit with you and Vanessa behind the scene just to kind of see how it works. And next thing I knew, I was being given the opportunity to get my hands dirty and learn about editing. And I was working with software and, you know, really behind the scenes. And then here we are in season four, and I would have not expected to see myself co-hosting so i guess that's i guess that's action research at work you know you you, you can't sit behind passively and you got to be get your hands dirty so it feels fitting that i get to be here and also it's really nice to be working with you Shika. i feel like i've already had a chance to learn a lot from you about production behind the scenes so it'll be fun you know tackling our, our insecurities and also learning how to kind of navigate hosting and kind of figure out our personalities online yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for that. And like one of the things that's cool, I think, is that our listeners are going to start to know more and more about you just from listening to your interviews and your style, you know, the discussions that you're, you're going to be having with guests. So just to kind of kick that off, like you're also both graduate students, to be clear, with doing action research, 
in the field. So do you mind maybe just offering like a short anecdote to our listeners about what you're doing in the field from a research standpoint and then a fun anecdote, you know, like tell us something fun about you. So I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot there, but... That's an interesting question. <laughs> uh, when... Well, start, start, with your, start with your research, Shika. I'm sure that, that should be a little easier. Um, so my research is about understanding lived experiences of Dalit women in higher education, which is situated in Dalit feminist framework and pragmatic analysis theory, thanks to Joe. So my research talks about the intersections of identity uh, mm-hmm. and how those identity really reflects on the learning experiences of Dalit women. And further, my research is trying to theorize the gender caste identity development, which is in process. So let's see how it emerged. And also, other than that, I have been really uh, engaging with a lot of collaborative processes across university, across countries, focusing on the experiences of Dalit women across the globe, like US, Nepal, Bangladesh. One fun thing about me. And this is funny, actually. Whenever someone else outside this project asks me one thing, one funny thing about me, I like to tell everyone that, hey, I help running like two podcasts. So uh, <laughs> saying that in the podcast is funny. So that's what I do in my free time. Awesome. Thanks, Shika. And Corey, would I be putting you too much on the spot by throwing the mic your way? Yeah, I know. I can't wait to be in Shika's shoes a couple of years from now and be able to talk so quickly and eloquently about my research. So I'm I'm uh, younger as a grad student, at least on my journey, not younger in age. But so I, first of all, I want to say that I, I've been a teacher for 15 years and up here in Montreal, Trujagi, we have um, a college system that is unique to Quebec. And within my college, we have an alternative school. It's my time in that alternative school that I'm kind of carrying with me into PhD work, you know, kind of, I'd like to think midway through my career. Uh, And part of it is thinking about what is unique within our alternative school. So we kind of follow this model philosophy of pedagogy that we call uh, critical humanistic education, which is both critical pedagogy and humanistic education in higher education. And I think an aspect of what we do that I think is really special has to do with, I guess the closest thing I can name it as is, um, which comes out of activists organizing is uh, the concept of collective care. And so I'm kind of really trying to think about collective care as both pedagogy and as methodology for research. That's why I'm really attracted to participatory action research. And in fact, I'm trying to think about this idea of participatory affective research, what that might look like. So I'm in that stage right now where I'm writing my, I guess, what are like comprehensive exams, where I'm just really in the theory and the literature and learning about methodologies. That's why this podcast has been great. Ask me in a year for a nice soundbite of what I'm going to be doing in my dissertation work. Um, something interesting about me, uh, I guess I usually, as a teacher, I usually like to juxtapose two things to my students to kind of throw them off. And I say, if you stick around in class, you'll learn more about these two aspects of myself. But in my undergraduate and part of my master's uh, work, I worked a side job, a side hustle. I was an aerobics instructor for 12 years. And I also like to say during that time, I had my first two experiences as an activist organizer of getting arrested twice. So I have a background in civil (laughs) disobedience and direct action. 
that's a good uh, conversation starter usually with my students. Wow, that's great. Thank you both so much for sharing those anecdotes with us. Really excited to continue hearing more what you're up to and as your research continues to develop. And I think that's a great segue also because I think it really embodies some of the things that we've been talking about off air, just kind of about folk, you know, up until now we've been trying doing our best to bring on seasoned researchers to share all of their knowledge and experience with our audience. And we, we've been talking about how valuable it is to hear about all the exciting new innovative research that's also going on. And it sounds like both of you are going to really be able to contribute to that discussion. So I'm personally very excited about that. Joe, what about you? What are you excited about for this season? Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited that we're expanding um, who is contributing and how they're going to be contributing. Part of the fun for me is that uh, both Shika and Corey are students that I'm supervising for the research. So uh, both of them have been a little bit more humble than they give themselves credit for, but I'll let them do all that kind of self-disclosure when they feel it's ready. I'm really excited about thinking through what the future of action research looks like with people working on this in different ways, from different positionalities, from different identities, and in in different realms. Uh, We have people working in higher education. We have people working in community development. We have people working in health and in library and information sciences, for example, which you'll find out about in a future episode the kind of cliche about research is that you stand on the shoulders of giants to, to reach even higher, right? That's like how research is supposed to work. The interviews that we are engaging in expand the concepts of action research, thinking about the methodologies, thinking about not only the final products, but also the messiness and some of the methodological dilemmas that happen in terms of what it means to do action research. So that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm also looking forward to trying to get more voices into this podcast. Uh, I mean, we just upped the number of co-hosts from two to four. That's more voices. And we're also going to up kind of who's going to be included, thinking about youth voices, thinking about uh, grad students, emerging researchers, and adding to all of that complicated mix of people, I think is going to be really enriching to the Action Research Podcast. So that's what I'm excited about. This is kind of my way of staying up to date in the field in a weird way. You know, I'm, I'm no longer affiliated with my university. I don't have as much access to the publications that are going on. I'm not forced to do that anymore because I've already finished my dissertation and no one's forcing me to write, even though I'm excited to get back to writing again. But in the meantime, this is kind of the most like streamlined way for me to stay um, involved in the action research community and hear, hear what's going on. So in the spirit of that and expanding new voices, it's now time for us to do a little role reversal. And as we have two new co-hosts, we want to have the two co-hosts in some ways just kind of start to do the hosting process themselves. So now we're going to hand it over to uh, Shika and Corey and offer them the platform to say what they're excited about and what they're looking forward to in terms of the Action Research Podcast for this year, as well as ask us some questions in the role of hosts. As, as this first episode. Jake, I, I could jump in if you want me to. Perfect. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how this works. Uh, yeah, I guess talking about expanding voices, uh, I know that our next two episodes, are, it's going to be like a two-parter. Um, and I think what's interesting, we're not just expanding in terms of having new hosts, 
but we're also expanding. I think it'll be the first time that we've had four guests on at a time. And I think what's kind of interesting about that is usually it's a conversation between hosts and our guests. And I think one of the things that we're trying to do is also, you know, facilitate a discussion between our four guests on those uh, episode uh, two and three of the season. Um, and it's what's actually kind of fun about it is that it, it's also these are four people who live in different different cities and also different countries. You mentioned the word messy. And I think uh, when we publish research, we often get the polished version of work. So I guess one thing I'm wondering, uh, asking the two of you, what are either recent or current messy parts of your research and how do you face that messiness? I'll take a stab, I suppose, at responding. Something that's not messy, super clean, really tight, really well planned out from start to finish. I think that there's value in that, right? But like the reality is that the world changes around you and you have to be able to adapt to that. And for me, that creates, that's what I, one of the ways that I associate with like the messiness that comes with acting research or social change work. So in dealing with that, you know, I think you have to be willing to like accept it. You have to balance like letting that natural organic evolution of a process emerge, but also be intentional about grounding it, right? So what are, what are like the core characteristics or values or philosophies or whatever it is that you're doing that you can constantly ground that messy process and bring it and bring it back, you know, and often that comes through a participatory or collaborative approach because in the work that I do, it's, it's always working with a team or a community. So that's really where the learning lessons rise to the surface, data rises to the surface. It's when you have to really be aware of are the components or characteristics of what's happening that's creating that messiness, own it, and then ground it. And in many ways, that's parallel to like actually podcasting or hosting a podcast because it can get out of hand and you have to be able to bring it back to like the topic at hand, right? But you also want that conversation to emerge organically. So I do think that there's some parallels there to the podcast process as well. Yeah, I would agree with you, Adam, on, on all of that. Um, the idea of having some kind of grounding philosophy or value system or core uh, drive that allows you to have kind of order within the chaos or order within the messiness. and so. I don't have anything to add in terms of that. I think the other facet of messiness that I think is important to think about too is the, at least for the, the projects that I'm working in, is that there are people, the, the kind of small p politics of people who have different interests in what the project is doing. So one of the things that I'm working on right now is a pretty large curriculum transformation program that is working with, uh, right now we have 19 schools and we're probably going to have a bunch more in different districts within Peru to, to develop culturally grounded curriculum. So the idea of culturally grounded curriculum is that the students, the parents, and the elders get to decide what knowledge is of most worth. And then we map that onto the competencies that they're supposed to learn for the National Ministry of Education uh, learning outcomes. Uh, that's all a bunch of technical stuff. But really what it means is that the content can be whatever the students and parents and elders want uh, and grounded in, in what they're interested in and, and what the community values. And then we can make it work with what their requirements are from the government. And so that's our job is to facilitate that. 
But in order to do all of that, we have a public-private partnership with a organization that uses a mechanism called Obras por Impuestos, which creates donations. So it takes money from private organizations and allows those private organizations to put that money into public works so that they get a tax break. So they actually do something of value for the community instead of having the taxes get lost, which is great. But there's an organization that does that. So they want to make sure that everything is a product that can be delivered and that it's quick and efficient. And so their vested interest is to make sure that they deliver a really great project. Our vested interest is to make sure the quality of education for the students is much higher than it has been in the past because they actually get to create their own curriculum based in the science of learning rather than in some other non-learning based approach, which is usually how curriculums get created and based in their cultural identities. And then you have the municipalities and the school districts where there are teachers who are like, how much work is this going to actually be for me? How much uh, the municipalities are like, we want to see results and we want our name on all the shiny new stuff. And then we have the businesses who want to see that their donation is doing something says they want to advertise it. So if you're talking about messiness, that is a description of messiness when it comes to action research and participatory action research. People have different interests. There's different moving parts. And all of that is grounded in a formal kind of consensus and thinking about consensus, not in terms of everybody's super excited about it, but everybody is okay with what's happening to move forward with this project, which is focused on improving the quality of schools in the region, which is in it in and of itself a messy concept because quality could mean improved learning outcomes based on some kind of western conceptualization or it could mean improvement in terms of students sense of identity and well-being and engagement in the world and so we have to navigate all of those different things and that's what participatory community-based participatory action research is really about understanding and, and working through that messiness and building consensus even within different vested interests Cool. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate the kind of strategy, but also I think what I'm always looking for are those examples, right? Like we can kind of talk about what we've learned, but to hear the specific context of your work, I think that's really, really helpful and relatable too. That's great. And one of the things I just wanted to add, because this is something that Adam does too, is like how to get along with people because the interpersonal, because even when things get messy and they're different, if you can, and different interests and people are trying to work that out, if you can get along with folks, um, that's super helpful too. And even if there's conflict or tension within the group because of those different best interests, one of the things that's important is to be able to sh be sure you can still work with people. And I think, I know Adam has a really nice team that does that and we do that too. And it's really, I think that's messy though as well, because it requires a lot of your own self-reflection, a lot of your own thinking about, all right, how am I going to engage in this particular tension, um, with people? I guess that that will be a whole new episode on relationship building around messiness. Sounds good to me. Another follow-up could be uh, talking about research, talking about relationships. We should do a whole episode on research breakups. Like when do you need to go through a breakup and how to do it with a good mind? With respect to relationships? Yeah. Have you ever had to break up with people uh, in a research context? That's Cody. Uh, that, that is Cody's, like, you know, pet question for our, you know, always lightning round. Like, what is yeah. your pet people? It, it's, it's funny when I was attending workshops, just coming into McGill as a grad student, and we're doing those online workshops, like hearing about people's research. I, that was always my question is exit strategy. How do you exit 
communities right. gracefully, like, especially if you're a researcher who you're doing a dissertation project, you're likely going to move and you're, you've been doing all this work in a context, like how do you plan for an exit strategy and like breaking up essentially? So I, I want to reframe that before we get into this, <laughs> although I understand where you're coming from, but I do want to reframe that because you could see it as breaking up, but I actually like to see it more as like when the kid moves out of the house, you know, like how do you go about when a parent's like, okay, you've done your cycle of life up to this point where you've been in the house, we're working on this house together and now we're moving on or roommates, right? Like you have how you have roommates and then you're living in the house and you create it all. And then eventually you have to move on. That doesn't mean you have to break like that. That breakup is like, that seems a little bit final to me where I don't feel like it is in action research, at least to me, where it's the relationship changes. You may not be working together specifically anymore, but that doesn't mean you didn't have a full life cycle of a project where you're like, okay, and now we have to move on. And as a teacher also, Corey, like you think about it, you have a year or two with your students and then they move on and they've been doing mm -hmm. a project with you. So that's how I kind of see action research. Sure. I totally agree. And the only thing I would say there is it's about having like, even if it's messy and it doesn't end up where you think it's still thinking with the end in mind, especially if you know there's an end, like with my students reminding us that this will end, you know, we are working together and then these courses are going to end just like this research project will end. And just, you know, learning as a researcher how to bring that into the relationship building, especially if you do know in the context of a lot of graduate students, which is very different from what you two are doing, graduate students who enter into communities that they were not part of before their research, knowing that they're going to likely in some way or another exit or change their role in that community. And I think that's something that I found sometimes is missing a little bit in conversations uh, or that I, I want to think about is like how to care for those relationships, even if you know they're going to change at the end of a project. Yeah, and absolutely. That is a really, really important. I think that would be a great episode to dive into. But also like, I mean, I don't know, Adam, you've had multiple projects, right? Um, you know, what do you think about that? I thought you were going to say you've had multiple breakups, but I mean, I, I'm not talking about his like romantic life now, but uh, you know. thought you'd never ask. Well, I guess I've got two broad responses to that. The first is being sort of explicit from the beginning about what you're engaging in with the community or whoever it is that you're working with, so that when it does sort of get to the final stages of the actual research, they're looking at it through that lens and they're not looking at it through the lens of like, oh, this is a breakup or I was used perhaps for something that I don't quite understand. And now like this person that I put trust in is moving on. Similarly, I think, I think it's also important to not let the research solely define the nature of your relationship. You know, I've spoken about it on the podcast before, you know, like all the in-between times, all the informal times, all the times that you're, you know, taking a break to have snacks or a drink or whatever, I really own that because not only do I think personally that it will make the relationships more robust, but it will also contribute to the research. And then it's kind of like what Joe said, right? The relationship just ultimately transitions into a different phase. And for some people, it continues and gets more and more robust. For others, it might feel like it fizzles out, but that's just kind of the nature of human relationships. 
thank you both. I, yeah, that is great. Is... Thank you for your responses. It was great. Throughout, I was thinking uh, about my interest in the podcast and action research, like among other good things. I love, love, love to learn about the messiness because as, as grad students, we are taught to see or produce those polished draft. No one talks about the process that leads to that polish draft. So the messiness is an important aspect. And I love that our podcast through different conversation, bring that messiness and make sure that students learn that this messiness is a part of process. So we hope that as a new host, we cover that aspect for our listeners, grad students, emerging scholars. In addition to that, I just want to ask if you both have any advice for new hosts. My advice would be, and it's kind of building off of what Adam was saying earlier, um, but my advice would be just to bring your passion and what you're interested in and the energy that you feel about this to the podcast. Don't try to like hold it back for whatever kind of propriety's sake. There's a requirement to be kind of radically transparent. Like be really clear about what your intentions are, who you are. You know, you're not just a researcher. You are a human interacting with other humans. And that's really important in action research. And it's also important in podcast hosting, I think. Um, and fortunately, you all are great editors. So when we make mistakes and speak in ways that aren't necessarily clear, you can fix it and, and get rid of it. So I don't know. What, what do you think, Adam? I would say embrace the messiness. Also strike a balance between two things. One, you want it to be free flowing, but it's also always been helpful when the guests are prepared. There should be a certain level of preparedness, right? Perhaps certain questions to think about in advance, but also knowing that you want to take that conversation down a certain road, just like any, you know, like a semi-structured interview or something like that. And then it's also always been helpful, I think, in the podcast that we've done to ground the conversation in something specific, whether it's a publication or some article or a specific theory or a website or a deliverable, like something that you can kind of circle back to. I think some of our best podcasts have come through that sort of model. So, yeah, no, I think, I think that's a thing you hit the nail on the head. So as we're wrapping up this first episode, what you can expect for the next 10 episodes is that Adam and I are going to continue to host podcasts and interviews based on selections that Adam and I pick. And Corey and Shika are going to host episodes based on people that either they select or who selected them. But the structure is basically this. Shika and Corey are now co-hosts, fully fledged, going off into the grand world of podcasting and hosting from their perspectives. And Adam and I, because of the, the years that we've done this podcasting and our work together, are going to continue our flow uh, that way. I want to invite anybody listening to the podcast who is an emerging researcher or somebody who has a different perspective that they haven't heard yet in the podcast and who's interested in sharing what they've learned so far to get in touch with any one of us at theactionresearchpod at gmail.com. And I'm super excited about this season coming up with all of the new emerging voices and expanding voices that will be on the, the podcast this season. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, everybody. It was great chatting. Looking forward to a good season. Thanks, everyone. Great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, Corey. Oh, no. I, that, I, that was it. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm stopping the recording. Thank you. <laughs>
How have you found yourself in the world of action research? You can subscribe to our podcast on most major podcast distribution platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Action Research Podcast, created by Adam Stieglitz, Joe Levitan, Shika DeWalker, Corey Legasic, and Vanessa Gold.